Welcome to A Fistful of Truth. I am your host, Lara Essengill, and you can find me here on this podcast on Spotify or Anchor.fm if you're using a web browser. Also, you can find me on my blog at www.delaraessengill.blog, where you can research a plethora of topics from with articles not just written by me, but other posts from people, places, uh, platforms that have to do with this uh, entire what thing we're calling the Great Awakening. So please make sure you enter your email address if you are visiting the blog or looking at the blog, because that's the only way that I can make sure to stay in touch with you, given all the censorship and craziness that I'm going through and all the insanity it takes to actually put up a blog post these days or even record one of these podcasts. Lots of things happen, folks. But in the meantime, I would like to thank also the supporters on this podcast who are being um, who are supporting a fistful of truth monthly by donating either a 99 cents, 4.99, or 9.99. One, five, or ten bucks, folks, gets you a monthly membership. Um, and I will be having I have some cool stuff coming up that I'm going to be announcing. And one of the features of this uh, podcast is there's a new video podcast called A Fistful of Matters. Check that out. Type in A Fistful of Matters. You can only view the video on Spotify. So make sure you're viewing this on Spotify. It doesn't matter if it's your computer web browser or your phone. Spotify will allow you to view the video of A Fistful of Matters on this blog. I know it's a little confusing. Excuse me, this podcast. Too many things going on. I know it's a little confusing. But the podcast has a video feature available only on Spotify. So you can listen to the podcast on audio on certain episodes. And there's only one so far. That one is called A Fistful of Matters. And you can locate it on anchor.fm on audio only. And A Fistful of Matters, that's the title of the episode, is uh, available on Spotify as a video. So you can actually see me delivering the podcast. And this will be integral as I'm doing things like health matters, uh, beauty matters, um, 2A matters, and uh, all sorts of other paranormal matters and stuff like this is going to be coming up. So you'll be hearing from myself. And sometimes uh, if they incorporate a guest feature, maybe I can do a call in and and so forth. So stay tuned to that. And also thank you um, for your support. And if you'd like to donate through PayPal, there's a link in the podcast description to do that as well. So tonight, Tonight is LA Non-Confidential featuring retired Sergeant Mike Fanning of the LAPD. And also um, he has not just uh, police experience, but he will get into other experience that he's had. Uh, Mike and I are um, on episode five, I believe, today. And, you know, Mike, you were right when you said to me the other day, I am in Bill Cooper's world now. I am in Bill Cooper's world, folks. And he was my hero, my introduction to Uh, all this information as a child. I was reading Behold a Pale Horse under the covers with a flashlight when I was told to go to sleep. And I was listening to him with my little yellow mustard 70s radio, little battery powered radio that I would hide from my parents because they were trying to get me to go to sleep. Good luck with that. But instead I was listening to Bill Cooper at a very young age. um, And uh, I now understand his world. You know, being targeted is not an easy thing. And uh, it's part of the, you know, it's part of the course and I'm not complaining, but I just feel more and more that I'm not going to be the only one. I think I'm just one of the first ones because I'm that person who likes to walk alone instead of going with the crowd in the wrong direction my entire life. And I know a lot of you listening out there are also um, like-minded and like-hearted. So thank you for being here and walking with me on a fistful of truth. But man, oh man, Mike, you were right. I am in Bill Bill Cooper's world, but I think there's going to be more and more of us in this world. And that's how the communities are going to get built. And that's how we're going to all gravitate towards each other instead of these people. And those people that have chosen the mark of the beast will not be part of our communities and they will not be part of our world. But it's going to take time. This is something that the White Hats couldn't tell us because truly, I think a lot of us would have freaked out five years ago if we had known This is going to take way longer than we think, but God has plans to prosper us. And I have, I have faith that, um, all will be well for those who endure till the end. So anyway, thank you for listening to my intro. And now let's go into the fifth episode of LA non-confidential. Well, Sergeant Mike 
I'm good. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, ready if you are. I am ready. Let's do this. This is episode oh, five of LA Non-Confidential. And folks, <laughs> if you hear me disappear for a second, I warned Mike, I'm, I'm having a little tummy issue today. So uh, I may have to step away for a second, but I will be back. And I just wanted to make that a full disclosure before we started, just in case there's like a odd moment there. Go ahead. Thank you, Mike. Okay. Uh, last time we were talking about um, certain events that uh, kept the um, blood feud, hatred, uh, seething between uh, the federal government, primarily the FBI and the Department of Justice and LAPD, uh, dating back into the, uh, the 50s and coming forward. Um, I, I'm gonna ask you to try and re recall some of those points because the way you're gonna learn um, in a more concrete way where it stays with you is to as much as possible, put aside your preconceived habitual civilian ideas and notions of uh, just going about being a regular person, you know, going to work, having a family, going shopping, planning a vacation, and the rest of the world, the people who run the world, the powers and forces that are here, biblically, <clears throat> politically, economically, socially, all of those groups, um, they are undermining the current uh, structures that exist in, in the world, in our country. And they have been in our lifetime, and they did before that. So there's this uh, idea of capacity building. Um, it is a, uh, it's actually a thing in HR and contracts overseas <clears throat> where the um, the contractors go in and they, <clears throat> using this notion of capacity building, increasing the potential of the, uh, the civilian workforce uh, in these countries. It's kind of tied to the, uh, the hearts and the minds, the George Bush doctrine of we bomb them into the Stone Age and then we build them up according to the way we want them to think and act. But the general uh, definition which is loosely constructed. It's just, you know, the common understandings of what capacity is and building, building upon the efforts through intimidation, uh, through uh, not intimidation, well, that's there too, uh, but through uh, infiltration of structures in, in society, church, government, education, entertainment, <clears throat> all of that has been ongoing. Uh, in our lifetime and <clears throat> in our pre in our in our parents before then and we're, we're primarily focusing on the 20th century but I took you back to give you some uh, some points of reference as to how the 20th century events uh, were planned to take place in the first place from the foregoing century now the things that were important that are constantly ongoing is the effects of what the Frankfurt School, Antonio Gramsci's Frankfurt School started and put into motion primarily directed at Western civilization and in particular the United States where uh, the, the general attacks on the, uh, the existing mores, um, the morals and, and the, uh, the law structures uh, were going to be uh, and began to be and, be and and are successfully eroded. And they use that through sensitivity training and the development of ideas and concepts such as multiculturalism, tolerance, um, and things that are born from tolerance today where we have to accept multiple genders and, and all this other nonsense. But it's not nonsense to them and half of our country goes along with it. So it's very, it's very volatile, it's, it's very destructive. And in the, in, in the end process of what these 
sensitivity, multiculturalism, uh, the various aspects of tolerance uh, do is they undermine the rule of law. And so then you see people who, who legally are not allowed to be in the country, like a Madeleine Albright, or to, uh, and then there's, there's no short list of people like her who, who, who have come from other places, Hillary Clinton as well, first generation uh, Jew from uh, the Ukraine, Lviv, according to United States Army Military Intelligence, which is documented in a book uh, written by Colonel Don de Grand Pre called um, Barbarians, uh, Barbarians Inside the Gates, the, uh, the Red Book of Bolshevism. And that was published back in about uh, the, the mid 90s, mid to late 90s. These people are, are, are they come into the country and, and obviously people who are spun up naturally, uh, who, are, who are here by birth naturally otherwise, uh, who adopt these, these principles that are uh, put into uh, effect of cultural Marxism, which we know as socially and politically correct ways of going about and functioning and getting along in society. You know, it, 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 uh, we used to remark that you have to check your conscience at the door before you go in to go to work, because once you go through that door, you put on your, your apron or your, your work, work attire, you have to quack like everybody else because the organization has been changed. Well, how did that organization get changed? How did where you work get changed, whether you're a doctor or a lawyer, construction worker, an auto worker, whatever you do, police officer, military, um, people in the, uh, in the various religions, uh, all of these things were impacted by the effect and the, and the plans put into operation by Gramsci, the Frankfurt School, and their operatives that were principally established and in place uh, by about the, the late 1930s and coming into the, uh, the, the, the uh, succeeding uh, decades. Also in the United States, the Communist Party USA was already, as, as we previously discussed, going back into the, uh, the, the first episode or two, was that it was the parent organization that sent the operatives to become the Bolsheviks that started the Soviet Union in 1917. From 1917 up to about 1929 when they were completely up and running. That all came from New York City and the Communist Party USA. So once the, what is known as the Communist International um, realized that Gramsci's um, approach to taking over nations and governments and societies was actually a very, very good idea. Not to say that they were, uh, that, that the, uh, the communist uh, military footprint wasn't going to continue to uh, expand, which it did. But now they had two ways of getting the job done. And uh, these are very talented people. They're very, very, very motivated. They are the antithesis, they are the ape of, the opposite of what patriots are. And in most countries that, going back to the, uh, the idea that I ask you to, to try and put out of your mind is that most of society goes about their daily business and is completely unaware of the infiltrations and these political intrigues that are going on all the time. So by the time we are here in the year 2021, and we saw the events of what took place in such a successful manner last year, all of them, all of them, and they were relate, directly related, highly complex, took years to, to uh, tighten up all the screws and make sure everything was going to work. And then when it was let out in, throughout the years of the Trump administration, little by little, and uh, 2020, the beginning of 2020, became the watershed for the whole entire rest of the event. It wasn't just the, the virus, the fake virus, the biological warfare um, uh, 
item that was released on, on the world and Western civilization, but it was all of the anarchic type uh, coordinated events that um, came very close to doing a whole lot more damage in this country. It, it, it certainly did more than it needed to. It, it shouldn't have been allowed to be to uh, to exist or take place in the first place. But when you have an administration, and I'm not just referring to President Trump's administration, although it was that administration, you have bureaucrats who are part of the infiltrated cadre that has been deeply nested inside. Uh, all of the aspects of government at the, all the levels all throughout the country for decades, for decades. And to get to the point where we saw the things that took place yesterday, last year, and people begin to wake up and they, they only turn to their ordinary means of, of where they get news. <laughs> and, and then all they're doing is they're driven further into into amazement and the mind automatically seeks like a compass it automatically has to find true north well true north for the sake of, of, of a human being and their faculties is where is the truth and when a psychological warfare program that has been in place throughout the lifetime of the nation through the media you have people who are going to think that their true north has been satisfied and accomplished when it picks up whatever form of news ease you prefer to listen to, whether it's from the left or the right. It's pretty much the same story and it's the same spin. And it immobilizes, it completely neutralizes the potential, the capacity of the patriots in this country who will only number at the, at the top end 150 million because at the top end of the other, what makes up a total of a nation of, of about 350 million people or so, well, let's just say 400 million with all of our illegals floating around. <laughs> the, the other half of that equation are the people who are bought into it and like it. They are the Marxite, their minds have been Marxized. Mm -hmm. Their compass always points in the direction of anarchy and disorder and the, and the, and the progressive agenda of continuing down that path where everything is eroded. And, and, and on the surface, the image, which is die cast deep within dialectical materialism techniques is to give people of that mindset our enemy the other half of our country's population that they're getting things for free <laughs> and, and so you don't have to you don't have to go to work you can get a check um, and when you do go to work you don't have to really do anything and if you want to leave you can do that okay wait you know we and, and, and that's just all of the annoying stuff. That's like the flies and the ants around your picnic table in the middle of summer. They're annoying you. They're, you know, the birds are dive bombing your table and trying to pick up the food. And you're just trying to have a good time. You're trying to get down the road of life. Shitting on your plate. Anyway. <laughs> well, you got to be careful what looks like salt and pepper. Okay. So now. Back to uh, little old LAPD and its, uh, and its hate, love-hate relationship with the FBI. Back in the 70s, um, the FBI came up with some innovative uh, programs to uh, pay for the, uh, the education and the enhanced training for uh, career purposes, career building capabilities, capacity uh, of, of uh, Individuals assigned by their departments who, who, for all intents and purposes, were uh, highly gifted, highly motivated individuals. Um, and they were brought back to the FBI to go through the, uh, the Quantico FBI School Academy. 
when they graduated. And when they graduated, they, um, I don't know that they physically received a badge, but they were uh, beholding to the obligations of that training when they came back with a dual status. They came back with the status of an FBI agent that was never revealed as such. We can find out these things after the riots and the Rodney King event started to emerge and, and some details started to uh, uh, become known to people inside uh, law enforcement. But all the years in, in between the 70s, the 80s and into the early 90s, um, we had people who were our co-officers, our, uh, our colleagues, uh, who most likely became uh, lieutenants and captains and commanders and deputy chiefs and the like. Uh, and they were carrying dual status and responsibilities from the FBI, which when you say the FBI, it's, it's slash the Department of Justice. So the FBI is the enforcement arm of whatever political ideology is in charge of the Department of Justice uh, in any given four year period of time, no matter who is uh, the uh, nominal appointed person who became the president during those periods of time. The effect of that is that you can quietly guide and change and reshape little by little um, in the 70s and the 80s, uh, where law enforcement was known to be going to be headed later on in the century and up to and including where we're at today. So that's a form of infiltration. Now there's other forms of infiltration that were going on at the same time. And um, you remember MBA programs, management uh, by uh, management, uh, masters in business administration, also known as uh, management by walking around. Uh, <laughs> and lots of people, in, um, took advantage of that, you know. Um, um, it seemed like a no-brainer. But what had ended up happening was that it ushered in a period uh, or a form of um, change in business and, and how corporate industry was, was going to function. Um, and it was called the managerial system. It replaced outright leadership. And leadership is a quality that is possessed in about 1% of the human race. Because everybody else are followers. And it's, uh, I'm not going to attempt to explain it or where it derives from, but it's, uh, you look at your own personal qualities. Are you running for office? Are you out there climbing a ladder and trying to put out a fire in a building or you know, rushing into a store and trying to catch a robber? Are you, um, are you, uh, you know, in charge of a huge business that uh, you founded, and your children are going to keep running for for as long as you possibly can? Because that's part of what you know the way businesses uh, that have good products, people that trust, is because there's a form of leadership there that keeps that uh, in place. What replaced that was the managerial system. And the managerial system compar uh, is comprised mainly of micromanagement. With micromanagement, you get to take policy and practicing uh, precedents that change policy because of the infiltrators' uh, initiatives where they're going to carefully and delicately not to be detected, steer the organization into a different, more progressive or, uh, direction. And we look at all of our corporations, we look at all of our, our uh, uh, jobs, industries, education, it's ongoing constantly. So while mom and dad are at work, the children are getting, getting a full dose of it without anybody being able to come in there and object to what they're being taught. 
and we and, and the objective that is one of the consequences to that is that our generations from the the great generation, the boomers and whatever the other names are uh, up to present day, <clears throat> normally in a society in a properly functioning country, the generations pass along and transmit all of the the, the quality virtues and the quality the qualities that are necessary to uh, continue to be successful as a person, as a family member, as a contributing member of society, and then corporately, how that affects the nation. Is it a strong nation or is it a nation in decay? So when these things start to change little by little, the nation begins to decay. And the generations no longer equally identify and look at each other and go, I understand what's going on here. Because it had been set in place for that, as it had been prior to the, uh, the latter half of the 20th century. Now, the, these, these, um, that's what the MBA programs were, were part of uh, helping push this country more progressively in a direction towards. At the same time, uh, while the uh, law enforcement organizations were being sent to the FBI Academy, on a broader scale, uh, publicly uh, advertised programs for psychological improvement. Uh, how many of you remember a Marriage Encounter? How many of you remember um, Esalon and Est and Scientology? <laughs> okay. Well, those things are out there being uh, encouraged. Workforce and corporations and government entities were encouraging their employees, giving them free, free access, you know, uh, to to go and try this out. Go go to the Est seminar. Uh, Mr. Uh, what's his name? Werner Erhardt founded. Uh, he was part of um, the uh, Scientology, which actually is a uh, creation of the Office of Naval Intelligence, given over to L. Ron Hubbard to run, and. Uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Earhart uh, decided for his own purposes to uh, give an, uh, a, an altering or a slightly different version of what uh, Scientology, uh, which was kind of a closed shop, and uh, Est was opened up for the general public. What, what, uh, what it pretty much consists of, and people from the general public from the corporate and government world, their employees began to attend these training seminars in very large numbers. And what it was, was a brutal MK ultra like uh, set of, of sessions where people's personalities were uh, torn apart. Uh, group participation in belittling and denigrating attendees in a near sadistic level of humiliation was what was taking place. I remember working uh, parking lot security for, one, for, uh, for a continuing set of these sessions up in uh, Hollywood uh, in the, uh, the mid 80s, well, 1984, 1985. And all we were there for was to guard the parking lots to make sure the cars weren't gonna get broken into while all these people are in there. Uh, attending these sessions, but after the uh, uh, our tours were over, they, they ended when people started coming out, uh, having been inside for uh, four or five hours or more, uh, and they were distraught. They were emotionally um, overcome, and and they looked like, in in a, in a certain sense, with. with <laughs> 
with my experience and, and various officers who attended uh, these, these parking lot uh, off-duty jobs for protection and everything, we, we witnessed these people come out and they looked like they'd been, um, <clears throat> um, there was something wrong with them. They were emotionally upset. And I remember talking to several of the people and it wasn't just one person you get a, you get an opinion Next thing you know, we, we talked to lots of people who need help them. They looked like they needed help, and they, they knew that we were out there off-duty in plain clothes, and they would they would recognize us. So we start talking to them. And they go, well, you, you, uh, you, what's wrong? And she goes, oh. And they, they start opening up, and they explain exactly what was going on in some detail. And they're crying, and they're upset. They've been brutally, emotionally attacked by the group. And each person in their own turn then gets to have the same thing done to them because it was a tearing down process to build up to get a conditioned response where now the group is has and the individuals within that group now have adopted a means of survival so that they can be accepted and so that they can go back out into the world with knowing that their co-workers who have attended this and who have gone through this will be able to support you and support one another in their various employment endeavors. And you see how this is starting to happen and, 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 and the, the, the capacity of that is now coming home to roost with mask mandates and getting vaccinated and and it's not it's not going to go away it's not going to go away austria and germany are a couple of months away from mandatory in-house lockdowns of people who are, who are unvaccinated and they'll be fined uh, Austria has, and I believe Germany's is the same, close to it, is, is about 4,000 euros, which is several thousand dollars out of their, their, their uh, net income that they would be fined for each quarter that they continue to be unvaccinated. But how do you leave your house to go out and earn the rest of your income if you're required to stay inside to prevent being arrested? And it's a very quick fix. They're going to drive the, these people into mandatory compliance or they're going to die in their houses. And it's, you can almost begin to see the way the trial balloons of the liberal states, the cities and New York City and now the, the whole state of New York is going towards something that's in that general direction. If it comes to the United States, what are we going to do? And how are all of the 150 million people who are on the good side of the political equation, what are they going to do? You all have jobs. In fact, you're probably the only ones working. You know? And uh, how, how are you going to get by if these things are going to uh, start to impact our uh, economy and, uh, and all of us individually? You know, it's one thing to have a lot of doggy smack um, fun with, I got my guns and they're not going to take me out of my house and everything. But have you ever really thought through what it's like to have to defend yourself in your home? You've never pointed a weapon at anybody in your life. You, you probably haven't given it any real serious thought about what would it take for you, the individual, to pull the trigger in self-defense if something were to come to pass in that type of a scenario, but you're in your house and 150 million people of the good people on this side of the country are in their house and, and, and wherever their comfort zones are, including where they work and in their cars with all of our devices and our attention is constantly focused on something electronic. And we participate as best we can so that we, because we have all our other responsibilities every single day. And so we live in an electronically altered environment of our conscience is, is applying our moral outrage to, uh, to what 
take, goes on and takes place every single day in social media. We all do it, myself included. But is any of that going to take back this country? Do any of you actually honestly believe that there's a political solution amongst the people who are presently in politically appointed and elected or so-called elected offices that, that, they're, that they have your best interest, Christian principle-driven interest of providing for the proper uh, common good of our country? Do you think that that's actually uh, there? If, 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 you, if you rightly say no, if they don't, then how are we going to solve the country's problem, which is our problem, by staying in our homes and not taking to the street? If you put 150 million people in the streets in this country, like, like similarly happens in Europe, Keep in mind, this country is only 250, 250 years old or so. There's bars in Europe that are 600 years old. <laughs> okay? That's true. Yep. Uh, um, follow follow the, uh, the vaccine mandate protests that are going on in, um, in Western Europe. Follow them. You should. And the one thing that you're going to see is people take to the streets over there. And there, 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 will, there will never be a solution to any of our current problems in this country that will be achieved by people sitting in their homes and typing away on their social media platforms. Agreed. None. Agreed. None. Americans are too comfortable. Yep. They Way don't want to, they don't want to go outside. They don't want to, and this is the truth. You're speaking the truth. Um, now, at the same time that these forms of infiltration were going on that would uh, undermine law enforcement and, and, the, and the like, there was also other forms of infiltration going on that would uh, be, let's just say, equally as destructive, but of a slightly different nature. <clears throat> And I'm going to bounce around here as, as my, uh, my thought process uh, happens on things. We're going to start with um, what the Cheka and then the NVKD and then uh, which were the precursors to uh, uh, the KGB in Russia. They began to send men and women to infiltrate Catholic seminaries and convents in Europe, South America, Australia, the United States and Canada, Mexico, obviously, you know, Western, Western civilization back in the 30s for the precise purpose of getting ordained or becoming uh, um, um, tonsured clerics or, or nuns and, and and remain in the clergy because because what was happening and what was known to take place was going to take place which did take place in 1960 or thereabouts was the um, marxization of the catholic church vis-a-vis -vis the vatican council number two and the uh, especially during the uh, alleged pontificate of uh, Cardinal Montini, known as uh, Pope Paul VI, where many, many, many changes came in subtly, increasing the capacity of, of Marxist progressivism to um, steer under the guise of Catholic obedience to lawful authority, the direction of uh, the church's image of how it got on with the rest of the world. It's a completely false premise, but no one ever challenged it in an effective way. There were people who stood up. There were cardinals and an archbishop who did stand up to Montini as Paul VI, Paul VI and told him that they would declare him to be a heretic if he promulgated the changes in the Catholic Mass. 
And uh, by that time, though, all of the new books were already printed. And what he gave into consenting to being corrected by these cardinals and this archbishop uh, meant virtually nothing. But that was about the level of, of, of um, opposition that he was met by. Politically, specifically in the United States, the Communist Party was putting um, communist agents, young men, we're just going to stay with the young men side of this thing, uh, into the Catholic seminaries all throughout the country. Same thing in Europe. And when you see that a person who is a communist, he could have been a baptized Catholic, but if he's a communist, then he's a, a, an excommunicated Catholic. And, and he's incapable of, of authentically being ordained to be a priest and authentically to function as a priest and all those various you know, functions, what those are. But in the meantime, over the decades, these, these people who were assisted from the Masonic infiltration that was extant in the Catholic hierarchy in Europe, South America, in the United States, Mexico, places like that, Australia, they were, uh, they were assisted into being able to um, themselves go higher, become monsignors, become bishops, become cardinals. And who's to think that we didn't have a pope or two or so-called pope in the last, since 1959. So you, you have that level. In the criminal areas, you have the, the effects of the uh, various ethnic mafias and their coordinated efforts with uh, international drug cartels before they were called drug cartels, the organized crime families uh, in the Orient and and elsewhere, that were producing the uh, the heroin and the cocaine. Marijuana was was on the way up in terms of being a product by the '60s, nowhere near where it is today. And the uh, the exotic drugs, the cycle, uh, this um, the LSDs the mescalines, all these other exotic things that most people would not be able to afford. They were being targeted at ethnic populations, primarily uh, African-American, Hispanic-American, but not exclusively. But, but when you look at what class struggle, class warfare does on the political and economic um, stage. There has to be real struggle and, and things that can be pointed to as to the, the, the alleged inequities of why um, there is such heavy crime in, in uh, certain areas. And then the immediate, the immediate, and, and, and then that's where you start to see the, um, the leftists, the Marxists, the running across as, as Democrats and some, some Republicans uh, step up and go, oh, it's the white person's fault. No, the class struggle. And, and it just, you know, it goes on and on and on and on. So how do the drugs get into the United States? Well, on the West Coast, they come in and, and uh, we're gonna talk about uh, Dr. Jerry Buss. He's now dead. Um, he was the owner of the Los Angeles Lakers for a good deal of time. And um, if you've ever wondered how the um, beer, hot dog, popcorn, and candy sales can uh, from, from uh, National Basketball Association um, attendance pay for the 25 to 50 million to the now over hundreds of millions of dollars of years salaries and contracts for all of these uh, uh, athletes. If you thought that 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 the uh, the gate receipts are what paid those salaries, I'd like somebody to prove that to me. <laughs> 
So, but what was really happening is that national sports, not just in the United States, became a, a very lucrative um, mechanism for money laundering of illegal money through salaries that were the drug proceeds that actually underpinned how these sports franchises are able to pay these exorbitant amounts of money. Now, there would be somebody from CNBC or MSNBC or some outfit that would say, no, and, and they would go in and ex they would explain how the venture capitalists, you know, they, they have all this seed money and, and it was, you know, and if you were gonna believe that, fine, you know, and go back to sleep and stop listening. But Dr. Jerry Buss, um, before the internet, before anything electronic, before there were beepers, before there were cell phones on the street, um, he was coordinating, bringing in all of the drug shipments from uh, the Japanese and the uh, Southeast Asian uh, organized crime outfits into the United States. Mainly that would involve opium. But he also got involved with, with the cocaine. <clears throat> He was an untouchable individual in law enforcement. And his first, I first heard his name mentioned uh, as far back as about 1973, when all of the intelligence files on, on narcotics dealers at any level were kept on uh, handwritten files, file cards. And they were kept in a, um, in a central location that was uh, mutually accessed by the specialized divisions of narcotics from the Los Angeles Police Department and, and the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. And it was called the, uh, the NIN file. It was N-I-N, it standard for Narcotics Information Network. It eventually became computerized. It eventually became part of when the federal government got its hands on things like that after Rodney King and ended up uh, in the database of the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network uh, computer system at the IRS building in Detroit, Michigan, where I worked for two years, 2004 through 2006 as a bomb dog handler on their security program. And I was in that room and I saw how that room functioned. It was explained to me. Nine different intelligence agencies from the United States shared and coordinated enforcement activities based on that database, some of which was originally put together by street police officers and very hardworking narcotics detectives in Los Angeles City and Los Angeles County, dating back to the 1970s. But Dr. Jerry Buss was never arrested. He was never allowed to be enforced against. I don't know the answer of why that was. Speculatively, it was that the uh, mafia that ran the city count of the uh, the city of Los Angeles, as that man uh, Marco Fabiani Conciliare La Cosa Nostra was the deputy mayor under Tom Bradley, that might have something to do with it. You think? Yeah. So. Um, my personal experience where this got a little bit more proximate, I was working an off-duty job one night. I got called uh, last minute to, make, to do a favor for somebody who couldn't show to a club that I had never heard of at the, new, at the, at the time, the newly uh, completed uh, Beverly Center, which was located on La Cienega, uh, the intersections of La Cienega, San Vicente, and uh, 3rd Street. And uh, it's on the border between uh, the west side of Wilshire Division and butting up along the eastern border of Beverly Hills. It was a nine-story structure 
um, commercial mall-like uh, enterprises uh, on the upper floors, including a uh, a restaurant, a Still Russian there. restaurant. Not Russian. No. Cape- oh, sorry. Go ahead. Still uh, there. Still there. And, and a Russian restaurant uh, that was run by the um, f- former, former KGB. Mm. So uh, they're now known as the Bratva, you know, the Russian mob. And they're, they're, they're pretty brutal. Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to piss them off, I don't think. Uh, they were upstairs, but on downstairs, on the ground floor, was a club called the Voila, French word, B-O-I-L-A. And... Uh, my function that night, uh, it was the only night that I ever worked there, because as you will hear me uh, explain why, once I found out the things that I found out, <laughs> I said, oh, hell no, I'm not going back there, because that's too close to to uh, being accepted as uh, you're part of them. That's, you know, I don't buy off that way. Nope. I don't buy off at all. And uh, I tried to put the burn on these people, and it took four years for the clues that I had uh, found out that night, which I'm going to tell you here in a second, were uh, finally made it to a right source. So I'm working with uh, a young poop butt kid, probably not much more <laughs> than 20 years old, who was their uh, um, management level sort of maybe supervisor of their of their in, in-house security and the people who would like the maybe the valets and stuff. And he just kind of oversaw that. But I was the person and anybody that was uh, working on off-duty from LAPD working there, uh, making, oh, whopping $25 an hour <laughs> for that evening. Uh, great pay rate today. Was, great yeah, pay rate today was, in LA. Yeah, you can't even today, find, but back No, it's, it's, it's pretty bad out here, Mike. But anyway, go ahead. So... So this, this, this young man starts explaining to me what's really going on in the club. And it, and it, it struck me almost immediately that he was, he was fixing himself up to get, you know, get his throat cut because if they ever found out that he was actually laying this stuff out to people, because he wasn't, he wasn't irate about it. He wasn't was he, like, was he matter oh of fact about it? He was matter of fact about it. Oh man. He was matter Sitting of fact duck. about it. Yep. And uh, more than likely, he's no longer with us. I hope probably he is, not. but 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 probably not. Those people don't last very long because because everybody else pays attention. Of course, because most people most people do not know how to function in anything other than ordinary social environments. Right. You have to be you have to be the gray man in the room that people see, but they never pay attention to you. Right. Ask yourself, you've watched all these spook movies and all these dramas and action movies and everything. They paint a distorted, somewhat meant to be accurate picture of how uh, espionage and criminality and, and being an undercover operator, how that all works. But I just told you, you have to be the gray man in a room that everybody sees but doesn't pay any attention to. And yet you know everything. That's what Saul Monroy did. They never figured him out. But they got him. They took him out afterwards. And they eventually got all those records. And who knows where those records ended up. And we don't know if anybody else made copies of those records. Back in my day, there would have been duplicate copies. Gates, Chief Gates would have made sure that that would have been the case. Um, but so this young man starts to explain that <clears throat> the mafia and the, uh, um, the gangs, the high-end members of the gangs, people like Freeway Rick, who was a CIA uh, asset, uh, gang member from South Central Los Angeles down in Watts, um, people like um, the uh, the uh, operatives that would, would represent the Chinese triads and, and, and the Southeast Asian gangs and whatever was doing brokerage on behalf of uh, the, uh, the opium trade coming out of Afghanistan and places like that. Those were being brokered deals 
for the importation of all of those products into the United States on the West Coast and then distributed throughout the uh, throughout the United States. And Buss and his uh, individuals who he trusted within his organization were, were always physically present in this club to do those transactions. Of course. When I passed this information on, I gave it to a person the next day. It was over the weekend, and I, and I, and I, I was so intent on making sure that the department found out about this right away because it was a big deal. And when I talked to this detective who I didn't know, mm-hmm. I gave him all the information, and, and that's all I did. It's all I could do. It's all we were expected to do under those types of circumstances. And we, we conformed ourselves to how the, the, the good department that, that I was hired by, that my fellows were hired by, we did that whenever, at whatever level. And that's how bad guys got put in jail. Big name bad guys went to jail like that. People who you may not recognize because you didn't know those things. That's for us to know. Right. Sometimes the political, some, and, and, and one of my overall criticisms here is that the public has been given too much information and they get to think that they actually know, know what's going on. But you, what are you going to do with it? It's better to have security within law enforcement properly constituted, within intelligence organizations properly constituted. It gives you the tactical advantage that your enemies will never know when you're coming for them. And yes. then you make society incrementally safer, you know, event by event. I agree. Now, uh, we're coming up at about an hour here. So I've been a little chattier every time I keep talking more and more and I keep worrying about what am I going to have to say. So we're going to cut <laughs> it off here. Okay. And we're going to pick it up again the next time. Um where but I'm we don't explain. want it to end. We don't want it to end. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Everybody's uh, people. People are, are loving this uh, accounting, Mike. And anyway, next time you're going to go ahead. Um, I'm going to explain to you how I got the uh, that same clue to a former partner of mine who worked organized crime intelligence division in 1989 and what he did with it. So All right, then. leave it here. Yep, let's leave it here. I, I made it through, and um, I know I, I I didn't hear any. You did, I didn't hear you beat feeding it to the uh, to the other room. No gurgling, no burping. I was good. Uh, too much information for me. <laughs> <laughs> Probably for the public too. But hey, it's the Great Awakening, folks. <laughs> it's all. Oh, you're going to call that the Great Awakening? I don't think so. Well, you know, for some people, it is. Um, and on that note, on <laughs> thank, that you very, note. thank you very much. I also want to say something before you go um, to, the, to the people that are listening, to the audience that's listening. Um, please uh, feel free to uh, join, join me in the, uh, in the Telegram chat group as well as uh, the channel is just a subscription. But in the chat group, there are a bunch of people that are, um, that are listening to this series and we do talk about it after it airs. And uh, also last week uh, we had number four, this is number five in LA non-confidential. And I was unable to post a blog article uh, that evening. I usually prepare them uh, about 24 hours within when I'm going to post them because I had a lot of connectivity issues. There was like fires going on, not where I live. And um, I just, I couldn't get online and I got too tired. So last week's episode and this week's episode of not LA non-confidential will be um, in this blog post. And I will include Mike, uh, some of your, some of your notes, of course, um, I'll talk to you before I post, I post a little yeah. summary of what's going on. All right. Okay. Dollar. Thank you. Thank you. Be good. Um, all right. Bye-bye. 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 You too. Thank you for tuning in to LA Non-Confidential with Sergeant Mike Fanning from the LAPD telling it like it is. As the story unfolds, folks, it gets more interesting and it's harder and harder to get off the phone with Sergeant Fanning when we're doing these interviews because the information flow and the clarity and detail of the personal experiences of this brave and uh, fearless patriot. God bless you, Sergeant Fanning. 
I know you have an audience out there who writes all the time and thank you. Keep the comments coming in because I do pass them along to Sergeant Fanning and um, I do like to see what the response is from the audience. So thank you again for tuning in to LA Non-Confidential on A Fistful of Truth. And you can hear this series. This is part five, multi-level infiltration. There are four other parts to the series on A Fistful of Truth. You can look those up here on Spotify or anchor.fm by typing in uh, LA Non-Confidential or just visiting the actual podcast site on those platforms where you can hear the previous four episodes. There will also be a blog article posted about this episode and the last episode, number four, uh, sometime between now and uh, in the next 24 hours. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And where we go one, we go all. <laughs>